Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. We know the NBA, of course, used to be about the dynamic duos, right? Like Pippen and Jordan and Kobe and Shaq. But then it, of course, morphed into the big threes. As you know, the ones in Miami, most particularly. The Nets are on the verge of having a big three, but right now they've got a dynamic duo. Keyshawn J. Will Zubin, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests, including Malika Andrews, the ESPN NBA reporter, join us on the Goodyear hotlines. All right, so Malika, let's go from double to triple. What is the latest on Kyrie Irving's return after missing seven straight games to complete the trifecta? Well, he's expected to practice today, and that's a, a, a good first sign for Nets fans because Steve Nash has said that that is what they want. They want to ramp up his on-court work because the league allows for players who have been in quarantine after being in the health and safety protocols, which Kyrie was after he was found to have violated um, their rules when he attended a family birthday party. And then Steve Nash said the hope is that he plays Wednesday in Cleveland. Now, remember, Kyrie Irving has only ever, since he left Cleveland and went to Boston in 2017, has only ever played in Cleveland one time. So this would be the second time if he does make that expected return that Steve Nash said that he's hopeful he will on Wednesday. It'll only be the second time he has gone back and played in Cleveland. Malika, what have Harden and Durant said about their relationship? With each other or with Kyrie? Yes, with each other. Um, well, it's something that both of them have said that they are leaning on as they're trying to find on-court chemistry uh, without have had, having any practice. Remember, James Harden has now played in two games with the Nets, and he's yet to attend a practice. So everything was sort of trial by fire. And so Sean Marks, Kevin Durant, James Harden have all said um, that they are leaning on that pre-existing relationship that they've had, that they have all that is wonderful that they were all saying was part of what ended up landing this thing and making this trade happen, that they're all leaning on that to build on court chemistry. And, and last night, James Harden said, you know, the difference is that in OKC, we were young. Now we're grown men who are looking to do more than just dunk and get our own shots up. We have higher basketball IQ, Kevin Durant said. So he said the the blend between the good relationship they have, the friendship they have, and then also their years in the league apart has allowed them to come back together and still have that I'm getting back on the bike type of feeling. I know this player. I know what he's about. But I also have all of this experience under my belt now that is aiding me in being a better teammate to this all-star. I also think the blend between the coaching staff is going to be critical too. And Steve Nash, Mm. the time he spent with Golden State, that continuity offense in which they played. And then how important is Mike D'Antoni to this whole process, considering his relationship with a guy like James Harden? Well, the relationship is definitely something, Jay, that they're talking about as, as being important. But even more so, Steve Nash has said over the last couple of days, again, it's that integration of James Harden. And there is a familiarity of just knowing James's game from being around the league a long time, from playing against him for, for many years, from being a basketball fan and watching him. But it's a different level when you have Mike D'Antoni that is sitting on the bench and knows his tendencies uh, as well or better than anyone. So as they're trying to work this guy in on the fly without having 
had the time to sit down and extensively dive into and and, and go through in, in film and in practice exactly what every single scheme is, this, that, and the other. Mike D'Antoni is that liaison in many ways. And so he is someone that Steve Nash has said again and again is invaluable to have on their bench as they're trying to kind of make this chemistry experiment work. Malika, we really appreciate it. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Kyrie. Obviously, the next couple of games are against the team that Kyrie knows well and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Their schedule doesn't look too daunting through the rest of January either. Really appreciate your perspective this morning. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Uh Thanks, Malika. Thank you. That's Malika Andrews joining us on the Goodyear Hotline. We'll be joined on the Goodyear Hotline by Jeff Passan, ESPN Major League Baseball insider and the author, co-author of an explosive piece about the Mets General Manager Jared Porter and some inappropriate text messages and selfies that he sent to a female baseball reporter. Stories exploded here in the last 24 hours. Porter has been fired, largely due to that report coming out. And Jeff will join us at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Key, I got to ask you, when you really look at the situation with the Nets at this particular point, do you feel like, to me, Harden can fill it up? But the fact that Durant scored 42 the first night Harden got in with a triple-double, scored 30 last night. This is not one of those things where we'll sort of figure it out. To Jay's point, they'll have to figure it out when Kyrie gets back. But for these two already, take me inside the mind of an athlete. How does it become so seamless so fast? Well, it was seamless for KD to begin with, right? Once he got back healthy, we knew that he was going to do what KD has always done, which is fill it up. And the fact that you've added Harden, it's, it's all about communication. It's all about knowing one another. It's all about playing with one another, being around one another multiple times, working out together. It's, it's, it's this silent language that you have with one another. I can go plug in with any quarterback that I've ever played with, and we're not going to miss a beat. Boom. It's just, you know, when I got Vinny, when I got Vinny from, from, uh, with Dallas, I had him with the Jets. I plug right in with Dallas. We was cooking because it's you just know what it is. I understand you. I understand your body language. It's just this this feel that we have for one another. Whether it's picking rolls, whether it's picking pops, whether it's playing defense and switching off, we understand each other. And I think that is what you get when you get two guys, or maybe even three guys that have played together before. Zubin. If the Nets can figure out the answer to this one question, mm-hmm. they will win a world championship. Lay it on me. Who manages Kyrie Irving? So look at this. Steve Nash is there because KD ultimately gave him the stamp. They have a pre-existing relationship. They work together in Golden State. Now, Kyrie did have to vouch for Steve Nash to a degree, but that's Kevin Durant's choice. Hey, this is our guy moving forward. Mike D'Antoni has spent time with James Harden, managing James Harden, his tendencies, his nuances, how to put him in positions to succeed, his personality. You know, granted, you know, Russell Westbrook, you know, according to Kendrick Perkins, in a degree, said that, hey, you know, James partied a lot in Houston. But, you know, Mike D'Antoni really? still that's – what, that's what KP said, Kendrick Perkins. We'll bring him on the show to let him explain that one time. But Mike D'Antoni has familiarity with James Harden and what those tendencies are. Who is that person on the bench that can pull Kyrie Irving off to the side and get him to calm down when things are going his way? And maybe that's not a person on the bench. Maybe that has to be KD because he has that relationship. James won't have that relationship with Kyrie the way KD will. 
So, you know, how KD manages that relationship or how somebody in the coaching staff does will be critical to the ultimate success of this team. It ain't even about managing the relationship, though, Jay. It's much like I said before. When you have guys around you, whether it's Stoudemire, whether it's Steve Nash, whether it's Mike D'Antoni, Jacques Vaughn, KD, uh, James Harden, a player knows if they're messing with you. And you know what I mean by messing with you. You can use another word to describe that. And it's all about how you make somebody feel. Mm -hmm. If you make me feel like I need to be worried about who you are and you threatening me in a different way, then I'm going to have pushback because now all of a sudden you're treating me like the third wheel. So I, I feel a certain way. If, if you treat me like I'm important and I'm 1A, even though you 1A, but you're treating me like I'm 1A, I'll feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. I'll understand that the importance is to win a championship opposed to going off and doing something for seven days on my own, whatever that may be, whether it's good or bad. Um, you know, so when you look at it, reportedly Kyrie Irving bought George Floyd's f- family a home. That's a positive thing. Amazing story. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing to do. So as we sat around trying to figure out what this dude was doing, he was doing something that satisfied him. And as long as they appreciate that and respect that, then you may be able to get the best out of Kyrie Irving. If all of a sudden you have a problem with him doing those sort of things or a problem with him taking off and you voice that frustration, now all of a sudden you back him up against the corner, against the wall. Now he feels a certain way. So it's all about how you handle somebody and communicate with them. And I know Jay doesn't like communication as a word that I continue to use (laughs) based on Kyrie's lack of communication with the organization. But in all seriousness, it's all about how you handle somebody, man. Certain people you got to handle real delicate. But all I'm saying, treat them a certain way, right? Just do. Both things can be true. Like Kyrie Irving did that for George Floyd a while back ago. Like not just in the last couple weeks, a while back ago. And, and that's great. Kyrie does things like that. I've also said that's what makes Kyrie uniquely different and special as a human being. But also, on the same hand, you can say the fact that his miscommunication on what's happened to this organization is something that ultimately you have to put in Kyrie's lap as far as accountability and responsibility. He needs to communicate to his general manager, to his owner, which he is doing now, about what was going on. And also, I just think eventually in time, guys, we have to bring Richard Jefferson on this show because when Kyrie, because when Kyrie was the guy, I'm very curious – being in Cleveland and RJ played on those teams with LeBron, how they managed Kyrie because they were rich would RJ would tell stories about Kyrie just kind of disappearing sometimes and being aloof, being on his own, not being connected with the team. I'm curious to why he thinks that happened. Yeah. Lou had some problems. Brad Stevens had some problems and now it's up to Steve Nash to sort of figure it out. Unlock Kyrie Irving. The biggest question the Nets have perhaps on their way to an NBA championship. Jay, we got to throw you an outlet pass. We're going to have you on get up with Greeny and the gang. We'll have you back here in just a few, but we're going to talk a little NFL as Jay goes over to ESPN to talk a little NBA. Pleasure to be joined by ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano. Dan, we've had Kevin Seifert, your colleague here from ESPN, and we've had the great Peter King in from NBC Sports this morning, and we asked everybody the same question. What in the world can you tell us definitively on what did happen and what is happening with Patrick Mahomes? Those are two tough acts to follow. I guess I'd ask what they told you. But, uh, <laughs> look, I, definitively, no. That's, you heard Adam Schefter in that clip right there. You can't talk definitively about timetables when we're talking about concussions. If he, if, he, if he advances through the protocol at each step, he still has to show 
a lack of symptoms, right? So let's say he gets to the point where he's allowed to run on the treadmill or allowed to go on the field and do some light football work. He still has to then, after that's completed the next morning, not show up with concussion symptoms. And if he does, then it reverts back to earlier steps. So no definitive timetable. In terms of what actually happened, you know, you hear Andy Reid talking about a situation where, oh, back in the day, he might have been able to come in. I don't know whether that's Andy saying he didn't have a concussion. He didn't come right out and say either thing, did he or didn't he? The point is he's in the protocol. He'll continue to be evaluated in the concussion protocol, and he needs to clear every single step and continue to not show symptoms. A couple years ago, guys, there was a situation where Ben Roethlisberger was in the concussion protocol, was cleared to play on Friday or Saturday, and then had symptoms again on Saturday or Sunday and was held out of the game. Uh, it's, a, it's a rare occurrence, but that's an example of how the concussion protocol is designed to save the player from himself, from his team, from being put into a game when he shouldn't be. Yeah, watching him run through that tunnel, though, Dan, I don't think he – I think I, I personally think he'll yes. play on Sunday just watching him run through the tunnel. Andy mentioned that. Let me ask you this. What are we hearing about Deshaun Watson in this trade or not being traded or Eric Bieniemy being hired, not being hired? Well, where do you want to start? This is a very complex issue. The enemy interviewed yesterday. Uh, they've interviewed several candidates for head coach. Um, some of them have previous head coaching experiences, guys like Leslie Frazier, Jim Caldwell. Uh, so it's possible that they're, they're looking at someone who has experience and, and maybe could be the guy who could come settle the situation down based on that. It's possible the enemy's getting a serious look. It's possible they interviewed him because they know that Deshaun wanted them to uh, and that he would then see through that. Look, talking to people around that situation, it sounds very clear that Deshaun does not want anything to do with the team right now. It's possible that situation cannot be fixed. The Texans are hearing from interested teams, as you would imagine, because there should be about 25 or more of them, uh, given the quality of this player. But right now, they're still of the mind that, look, we haven't even hired a coach yet. We don't know if we can fix a situation. We would prefer to fix a situation and not trade him. So right now, nothing's imminent. But uh, yes, if he forces their hand, it could, be a, it could be a very interesting situation where they have to consider offers for a player that they really do not want to move. Uh, as of right now, there are officially three job openings, Detroit and the Philadelphia Eagles along with Houston. Officially, what are the Eagles going to do in terms of their head coaching search? Yeah, Detroit's not really open, but I know you say officially, but that's not that's not one other people are still hoping for besides Dan Campbell. The Eagles, they interviewed Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator the other day, and th- there's a lot of uh, strong feeling toward hiring him in the Eagles organization. They're not there yet. There are concerns with Josh McDaniels, the, the bad experience in Denver years ago, the experience with the Colts where he backed out on them at the end, uh, and then the fact that Bill Belichick assistants haven't had great success in head coaching roles when they've left that organization, McDaniels included. So there are some holdups, but it does seem that the Eagles are interested in McDaniels. And, you know, if you were to handicap it right now, you'd probably make him the leader for that job. That could be something that gets resolved one way or the other here in the next couple of days. When you talk about things getting resolved, there's a couple quarterbacks that came out in the same draft that contracts will be up in the next couple of years. But this offseason, there's, there's the option or the fifth-year option or extending long-term deals. Where are we at with Baker Mayfield 1 and Lamar Jackson 2? Double-barrel question for you there. <laughs> yeah, just so people understand, the rules say you cannot – 
uh, negotiate a contract extension with a, a drafted player until after his third year. So now that's where Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson are with their third seasons having ended. They're both first-round picks, so the team has a fifth-year option on them for 2022. I would expect both of those options to be picked up unless the, an extension is done before then. Now, the deadline for picking up the option is in May. Doing an extension before then seems far-fetched. Look back at last year. Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes were in the same situation. Both got deals done, uh, but Mahomes wasn't until uh, early July, and, and Watson was later in the summer. So even if the options get picked up, they can be supplanted later by extensions. Both these teams are very happy with both these players for obvious reasons. I would expect both of them to get extended at some point. Uh, but if it's not this offseason, then you'll certainly see those fifth-year options picked up so they're at least uh, under contract through 2022. Dan, a guy, fifth-year option that was picked up along with a whole lot of money was Jared Goff giving over $130-plus million to be the Rams quarterback of the future. But it seems, though, now – that the Rams have buyer's remorse. What's going to happen to Jared Goff moving forward? Tricky situation for the Rams with the way that contract is structured. They really can't cut him. It would be a $62 million dead cap hit if they did that. It would be three times the, the record amount at this point of a, of, of, of a team taking on dead money for a player that isn't playing for them. So that's not an option. They could theoretically trade him. But if you're not happy with him, how are you going to convince a team to take on that contract and give you anything of value? So I think that Jared Goff is the Rams quarterback for at least next year. If they aren't sure, then you could, you could see a situation where they bring somebody else in and there's a competition. Maybe similar to what, not that there was a competition, maybe there should have been, uh, with Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz in Philadelphia this year. Odd parallels considering... Goff and Wentz were 1-2 in their draft and very similar contracts given at uh, a roughly the same time. But if the Rams are unhappy with Goff, then you'll, you'll see them try and look at possible options for competing with him or maybe in the future. But I, I, I'm pretty sure they're stuck with that contract through at least next year. Dan, what, what happened to his play, though, right? I mean, think about it. Two years ago, he was a potential MVP, led his team to the Super Bowl, they gave him a big money, and all of a sudden – we're questioning his play after two years. I think there are, there are quarterbacks in this league, and maybe a half dozen of them at most, that are sort of, um, you know, situation agnostic, where you could put them in anywhere and they'd be successful. You know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, probably Russell Wilson. And then the rest of them are, the good ones, I think, are guys that to some extent need things to be right around them. And the year that the Rams went to the Super Bowl, the offensive line was a dominant unit, was incredibly good at protection, was obviously crushing people in the run game. That unit has fallen on hard times, and the Rams have had to rework it a little bit over the last couple of years, better this year than it was last year. Obviously, having Todd Gurley in his prime was a major factor in how that offense operated. And you know, this year with the run game, it was a little mix and match. So I think you've seen Jared Goff a quarterback that can be successful, that can lead a team to great things, but isn't going to be the kind that, you know, no matter what's going on around him, he can elevate everybody else. I, I think he's a quarterback that uh, needs to be in the right situation in order to thrive. Uh, the good thing is he is someone who we have seen thrive when the situation is right. So you could sell yourself on the idea of we get back to that, we can see the Jared Goff from two years ago again. Mm. It's really unbelievable. The top two picks in 2015, Winston and Mariota, who knows? The top two picks in 2016, 
Wentz and Goff. <laughs> right. Who knows? I mean, this is just like a little over a half decade ago. You're banking everything. 2017 was guys. Trubisky. Right. 2017 with Trubisky at the number two overall pick. It is just unbelievable. You just never know. Dan, really appreciate the insight this morning. Thank you very much. All right, Dan. Thanks. You got it, guys. Uh-huh. But, just, but if you think about it, though, Zubin, I've said this. When you look at the top quarterbacks that's drafted, mm-hmm. outside of the Manning brothers and Troy Aikman, mm-hmm. you know, John Elway way back yeah. when, Aikman way back when. At the one spot. At the one spot yeah. in that top five. Just right. take the top five. Right. What? Yeah. What are you getting? A lot of misses. We just chronicle those and, and it's like, well, he's a can't miss. Once in a lifetime guy. Family guy. Just slow down. <laughs> You got because those guys that's at the back end of the draft, second round guys, middle, you know, middle of the draft. Those dudes are the ones that seem like they pop. Yeah, Dak Prescott fourth round pick. It's been said a million times. Tom Brady a sixth round pick. Russell, Russell Wilson, Wilson the third round I mean, like, pick. Come on, right? We could just point to it it's later in the draft. Deshaun Watson passed over. Patrick Mahomes passed over. I mean. I'm just saying. Even Aaron Rodgers bottom of the first round. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger Andrew, at the back the end. 10. Yeah, I mean. It, we can go on and on about that. You're right. That's a great point by you. Just a reminder, Stephen A. Smith goes beyond the headlines to unlock a unique world of hot takes, one-of-a-kind segments, and can't-miss interviews. Stream all this and more on his new show, Stephen A.'s World, exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com, and you can catch Greeny at 10 a.m. Eastern, right after us, Barton Hahn, noon Eastern time, Max Kellerman at 2 p.m., and Shanae and Golick Jr. at 4 p.m. Eastern time. All of those shows streaming as well on ESPN+. Plus. On the way, the man who co-authored the story that got the Mets general manager fired before his tenure even began with one game on the ledger. It's the biggest story in sports, and the guy who co-authored it is next. Breaking story in Major League Baseball, the New York Mets, according to their owner, Steve Cohen, saying that we have terminated new general manager Jared Porter this morning. This is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. And just hours after that report was released, Mets team president Sandy Alderson put out a statement essentially saying that Jared Porter had admitted that these things had happened after being less than truthful during the ESPN investigation. 
and the Mets would take appropriate action shortly after that. Alderson's boss, the team owner, Steve Cohen, terminated Jared Porter. For more on this, again, you can check the story out right now at ESPN.com or on a tap on your phone with the ESPN app. We welcome in Jeff Passan, who alongside Mina Kimes broke this story. Jeff, I know you're a reporter's reporter, so I guess the, the first question has to be, since the story was posted and the fallout has happened, what more can you add? Uh, well, Zubin, the fact that this happened as quickly as it did before 8 a.m. Eastern this morning, Steve Cohen turning around and firing Jared Porter, uh, it, it was honestly a little quicker than I anticipated. Uh, around baseball last night, and especially inside of the Mets, when the story dropped, uh, it was even worse, I think, than they were anticipating. And that's understandable. When, when you look at this, it's not just the fact that he sent unsolicited lewd images. It's the fact that he did so after the woman had not responded to 60-plus messages from him previously. And, and that's the part, I think, that really hits home in this story. There, there are bad actions, but there are bad actions on top of bad actions. And ultimately, if you're going to be the general manager for the New York Mets in a city like New York, uh, to have this hanging over you, it was just untenable for Steve Cohen, particularly after in his first press conference, he said, this is going to be an organization that has integrity. And, and if integrity is something that you are going to stand behind, then having a general manager who's done this, no matter how far it was in the past, it just is not something that's going to going to hold muster. Jeff, you've been all over this with Mina Kimes. Can you explain to me and to the audience how this slipped through the cracks, considering that it was brought to someone's attention in 2016? So let's walk through the timeline here. Uh, we first received the texts back in December 2017 from a source. And when you get something of this nature uh, and there's been a, a victim who's had this stuff perpetrated on her, you go and try to talk with her and, and see if she is comfortable and ready to tell her story. At that point, she was not. She was still working as a journalist. She was fearful that by doing so, by going public, there would be backlash against her. And, and as a reporter, you need to respect that. You need to understand that this is a person who already has been victimized by an inverted power dynamic. You know, the, she is uh, in baseball in a foreign country, uh, doesn't understand the customs particularly well, uh, doesn't know the language great. And here's Jared Porter, who at the time was the Chicago Cubs director of pro scouting, but that's still a position of esteem. You know, he was crisscrossing the country going to... Uh, the, the best hotels in America, really living the life. And uh, he used that ultimately to prey on her. Now, she didn't want to talk at the time. And because she didn't want to talk at the time, we have to abide by that request. I think it's our duty ethically to do so. But we kept in touch with her throughout the years. And I think something changed when he got hired as Mets GM. Uh, she had lost her career in journalism. She had gone back to her home country and was working in finance. And she sees him ascending to uh, this esteemed position and says, there's something really wrong, not just with sports, but with the world. When somebody can do something like that 
And I end up in my position and he just keeps climbing the ladder. And I think, you know, when we spoke with her, she said, I want to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. And let me tell you guys, there are a lot of people around America today having conversations, not just with themselves or their, their friends or their coworkers, but with their kids about what appropriate behavior is. And if there is a legacy of this story, I would hope that it has somebody thinking twice before doing this going forward, especially in an unsolicited fashion like this woman dealt with. Uh, Jeff, can we see any, will we see any more sort of fallout in the Mets organization going forward? Uh, You know, I doubt it. The way that Steve Cohen put it at this point and in the quickness with which he just sent Jared Porter to the guillotine. Uh, I, I have a difficult time thinking the Mets are going to belabor this at all. I think that this is a chapter in their history that they want to get past as quickly as possible uh, and move on to the business of building a great baseball team because the more people are talking about that or thinking about that, the less that they're thinking about the fact that the first general manager hire in Steve Cohen's time as owner of the Mets was someone who he had to fire less than a month or a little bit more than a month after the hiring. Hey, Jeff, you can feel free to respond to this, but I, I just I feel like when you start reading the report, the fact that you had 62 unanswered texts, 62, not not two, not like five, 10 over span, 62. That's it's very predator like, you know, that's so problematic that somebody would have to deal with somebody trying to exercise their authority to that degree. Yeah, I mean, there's there's honestly just no explanation. And, you know, it was interesting talking with people yesterday after the story ran who know Jared Porter and who like Jared Porter, because this is someone who in baseball had a pretty pristine reputation, like extraordinarily well liked across the sport. And, you know, when something like this happens, I think there's a there's a an instinct that people have. Uh, with their friends to try and stand up for them, to try and say, well, maybe, maybe this, you know, maybe it's overblown. Maybe there was something that I had a hard time finding someone because of those 62 messages who could look at this and say that it was an isolated mistake, that it was one bad choice sending the naked picture at the end. No, this was a series of bad choices and, and a series of choices that ultimately had severe consequences. And, and I think Jared Porter, I think he knows that. I think he recognizes that. Uh, this was uh, his dream job. I mean, he said those words when he got hired. This is my dream job. And now he doesn't have it anymore. Jeff, where do the Mets go next from here in terms of hiring a general manager to take over and try to you know, continue Steve Cohen's vision? I don't know if they're going to do this, Keith, but, uh, you know, a a transaction that was sort of under the radar was the fact that Zach Scott, who finished second behind Jared Porter in the Mets general manager race, ended up leaving his assistant general manager job with the Boston Red Sox to join the Mets 
as an AGM. Now, I don't know if Zach Scott is going to be promoted into that position, but there is a very clear opportunity for the Mets to take someone who they thought was good enough to be one of the two finalists for their job and put him in that position without having to go and hire him from the outside. And so uh, if Zach Scott were to end up as Mets GM, it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I think they're still at this point trying to figure out what exactly the, the repercussions and the fallout are going to look like and just how long this story is going to reverberate. And I, I think the answer is it's going to be something that hangs over the Mets for a while. But uh, when it comes to their fans, you know, the second you sign George Springer, uh, all, all the good feelings come back. That's the way it tends to go in sports with Springer out there and being rumored to join the Mets. We should also mention that this is about the worst time possible to try to hire a general manager. We're just weeks out away from spring training. Last year, they had to let their manager go before he managed a game. And this year, they have to let their GM go before one game is done under the ledger. Again, tremendous reporting by Jeff and Mina, which you can check out right now on ESPN.com. And it's got, like I said, the text messages, and there are some photos in the story. And obviously, if anything develops throughout the day, further fallout, although Jeff says probably won't be, you'll hear him on SportsCenter and on ESPN Radio. Jeff, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Keyshawn J. Will Zubin, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up next, before I let you go, everybody was watching Football Sunday. This is two days too late. But this was a win for the ages that no one's talking about. So we will next. Tuesday, the Buffalo Bills are back in the AFC Championship game for the first time in a quarter century, and the man who led them there last will be among my guests. The Hall of Famer Jim Kelly with me, Greeny, starting 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus, Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. And this is one thing that I think a lot of people are going to be able to appreciate, no matter if you played like me, rec league, high school ball, or you made it to the 1% to the NBA like Jay into the NFL 
like Key. It might have nothing to even do with sports. If you're that guy that's looking for that girl that just can't get her because she's into another guy, you're just not good enough. You've never been good enough. Right? <laughs> I'm listening. Now we're listening. Key, your face, man. though. Key, your face, though. Yeah, I'm just listening, man. I'm, I'm listening. Don't worry about my face. Go ahead. Zoom in. Don't listen finally, to Jay. I got your attention. It's only taken five months, but we've finally done it. Okay. So here's the deal. You just never feel like you're good enough to stand up to, in this case, a team, or it's a guy or a gal or whatever. On Sunday, everybody was watching Patrick Mahomes go down, and then Tom Brady outdueled Drew Brees, likely end his career. But also on Sunday, very quietly, believe it or not, there was an important lesson in a great feel-good story. The Colorado women's basketball team defeated Stanford 77-72 in OT. What's the big deal? It's a Pac-12 game. It went to overtime. CU won. Well, there is one little thing that we should mention. Think about how hard this journey was for Colorado. You guys, fellas, you guys have been there. You've climbed the ladder. Think about this as a female athlete, male athlete in this position. Colorado had never defeated Stanford ever since they entered the Pac-12 in 2011. Never done it. Colorado had also never defeated a number one team in the history of of the program. They got a lot going against them. So, of course, they're in the Pac-12. Last year, pre-pandemic, you play twice, right? You play in Palo Alto, you play in Boulder. Well, last year, they played, and in the first game, Colorado almost got them, but they lost 76-68 in OT. Almost got them over a great Stanford team. And then, in the second meeting, they lost to Stanford after Kiana Williams, if you're watching on television right now, Hit a three-pointer with 12 seconds to go. Fellas, listen to this. In one sequence, this young woman hit a three-pointer with 12 seconds to go, stole the ball, and then hit a 40-foot buzzer beater to defeat Colorado. Another devastating blow for the Buffs. Could have had them. On Sunday, they go to overtime again. This time, they win. It's their first win ever against Stanford. It's their first win ever against the number one team in the country, and they do it against the team that the stars were just not aligned for them. Lose on a 40-foot buzzer beater after losing an OT, going to OT the next time thinking, man, this just ain't going to be our day. This is just not our team. This nemesis is just too much, and they ended up winning the game, and it was hugely emotional, knocking off Stanford, their first loss of the season, and a win that nobody will be talking about, but I think if you're inspirational, you're paying rec league ball, high school, PAL, after school, great story to watch. No, I, I, I love you, Zubin. No, I saw, I, it, I saw it come across the, the, the uh, ticker, ticker yeah. on ESPN. I was like, oh, interesting. And because the Stanford's basketball team, women's basketball team, is just so Tremendous. dominant, right? It, Their it, head coach is the most wins ever. Never falls off. They're always at the top of the, the conference. They're always winning games. And then when you see little old Colorado beat them, it was like, you know, it was cool. It certainly was cool. Fantastic. Tara Vanderveer earlier this season became the all-time winningest coach in women's basketball, but that was a win for the ages watching in my cabin there. I was just surprised I had the Wi-Fi to watch that in my cabin in, in Vail. <laughs> well, we all know how you <laughs> feel about Colorado. so It's a beautiful state. I love know. Colorado. All right, so a beautiful relationship should be an OC and Lamar Jackson. I mean, you give me somebody with that kind not of Orange talent. Not Orange County OC. Not, not OC. Okay. Or the OC. <laughs> Keys home, the OC. Uh, the offensive coordinator of the Ravens is Greg Roman. And if you say, hey, I'm going to give you a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, never been done, unanimous MVP, i got to make this thing work. Saturday night, the elements were there. It didn't work. Steve Smith 
was on Greeny, the old great wide receiver himself, Steve Smith Sr., yesterday now works for the NFL Network. Yes, he's been known to, to do that once or twice. To pack a punch once or twice. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, packing a punch for Steve Smith. But he said, look, this OC has got to get more out of a talent like Lamar. Greg Roman, uh, we know what he does. He's an excellent, he's a former O-line coach, tight end coach. He knows how to run a football I don't believe that his creativity in the pass game uh, matches uh, the ability that Brian Dayball has. And you, you can just compare the two, and it's apples and oranges. And, and Smitty is right in terms of being an offensive line coach. They really typically have very good uh, insight on running the football. There's no question about it. What is it that the Ravens do well? They run the football. But what I would say is you don't have to be – smart to realize what they need at the position of receiver. They need a bona fide A-dog, alpha dog at receiver. They got a guy in Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown's fine. He's a good good guy, but he's not going to get you over the hump. You got to get a Calvin Johnson. You got to get a, a Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, a Stephon Diggs. What is it that the Baltimore, a Buffalo Bills went out and did? They traded for Stephon Diggs. Prior to that, they were messing around with Brown and Beasley. They couldn't get anything done with that. Mm -hmm. Their passing game suffered. They went and got Stephon Diggs. Now they're finishing the top five. So it's important for the Ravens to realize, whether it's through the draft, free agency, or trade, to find that number one, that, that, that dog that changes everything in the passing game, whoever that may be. Maybe there's a Julio Jones sighting that can come, some trades, whatever it is. Because here's a guy that might, Ryan may be out in Atlanta. Julio Jones is sitting there with a nice contract. What can he do for Atlanta moving forward? The receiving side of things is turning to more toward Calvin Ridley, in my opinion, and less against Julio Jones. There's an A.J. Green who's a little longer in the tooth, didn't have a great year this year, but maybe he has something left in the tank. He'll be a free agent. You can look at that. Allen Robinson from Chicago. Is he the type of guy that you can go out there and turn into your uh, Michael Thomas, turn into your uh, Julio Jones, your DeAndre Hopkins. Is he key? One. Is he key? Because DeAndre, you kind of shook your head on that one. You kind of shook uh, your head. You Devontae said Allen Robinson kind of. Is he the guy that can turn into that guy that you believe? I, I think if you know what to do with him, he can. But if you – if I, I don't know that he can go to every system and just blow up to a whole nother level. But I think if you know what to do with him, he can. You got to have somebody to counter – Hollywood Brown. Can't have the same type of guys. Willie Sneed and Hollywood Brown basically the same. Quick reminder, biggest story of the day, the Mets firing their general manager. Read it right now on ESPN.com. The Hall of Famer Jim Kelly will join Greeny next on many of these ESPN radio stations.